Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. It's been a while since we've been here in this place, this place of magic. And since we have, the world of streaming has been scattered to the four winds. DC TV has changed, now under the steady hands of James Gunn and Peter Safran. Warner Brothers has changed, now under the hands of Discovery and David Zaslav. Shows have disappeared from HBO Max, which is now called Max. And some, like the one we're talking about today, have reappeared. But when we look out here at all of this, we can see all these pieces, these details in front of us strewn right here in the Doom Room. <laughs> I'm Alex. We, we spent all off-season working on that as a group. From the womb to the tomb, this is the Zoom, Boom Room, Doom Room, later. <laughs> and we are back with the final episodes ever of Doom Patrol. We're going to be talking wow. about Season 4, Episode 7, Orc with Patrol, with lots to catch up on here. Also of note, uh, Pete is busy right now. I think he's probably kicking himself because obviously he loves this show. He will loves be back to show. talk about the final episodes as we get through it. But two episodes dropped today. We're going to be talking about the first one, the big return, the second half of the season. Finally here. Um, I, I honestly can't remember. I should have gone back and listened, but I can't remember if we knew the show was canceled when we finished up the last time. I don't, I don't think believe so. so. No. So real... Real pressure on these last episodes I'm feeling going into here, you know? Well, I think a couple things. We didn't know it was canceled. They maybe didn't know they were canceled, but I bet they might have guessed that things were changing. Mm -hmm. um, given that this show's always been a bubble show uh, from the jump, it's always been a good, weird show that got to do what it wanted because I think it, it knew it had a limited lifespan. So that continues here. But the other thing that I was surprised about that they I thought they would know is the split here that happened. Mm -hmm. Because this episode starts without any sort of mid-season fanfare. Literally yeah. picks up where we left off as if only one week or or no time has passed at all. So that, to me, was a surprise. Yeah, the, that was a little bit of a bummer, particularly because, like, like I said, there's so much to get caught up on. I didn't time it or anything, but the recap at the beginning had to be at least two minutes long, if not like longer than that. There was a lot to get through there. Um, well, I, I downloaded this mm -hmm. uh, and, and watched it on the subway actually today, uh, and it didn't have the recap. It just oh, went no. right into credits. And okay. I was like, so when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, they must be doing an internal recap or just yeah. like maybe it's sort of a new idea and we're going to get back to what was happening before. And nope, it just didn't pick right back up. <laughs> oh, no. And I will say, I I was like, I remembered all of it, but I was like, wild. I thought it was just such a wild. Well, it's particularly a t steep climb. Uh, just to talk about this for a second, and then we'll get into like a brief overview of the episode, then talk about specific points. But it 
it's almost like I, I thought there was going to be a clean break because we ended with this point where we saw Wally again. I think it's Wally. And I remember us talking yeah. about like, who's this guy? Why are they ending with this guy? I don't get this. We get another who's this guy at the end of this episode. But this feels like with the emergence of a mortis and the reveal of a mortis, that to me feels like a cleaner break at the end of this episode going into the next episode. Bingo. Yeah. I think uh, big time. Yeah. So weird choice. This, this I wonder. Was- I wonder if it was an effects thing. Everybody's in, been in an effects crunch, so maybe mm. they just weren't able to finish off the episodes in time. I don't know. I also was surprised it took so long to get these episodes, especially in a time where there's uh, strikes going on, where there's sort of a lot of gap in programming. And mm-hmm. I think this was dropped on the app without a ton of fanfare. I, uh, I think I it's fair had to, say. to search for it today, which is never a good sign. It should be in that top Agreed. rail there. And it was, it was not. not in the top rail. It was not in my continue watching new episodes. <laughs> I had to Google internally uh, search on disgusting. the Max app to find it. Absolutely disgusting. So, so lots going on here, though. We have this character, Amortis, who is emerging a cult of scissor men and other people, including this character, Wally, who reemerged, uh, who are trying to bring him back by taking the immortality that the Doom Patrol has and put it in Amortis to bring Amortis to life, to bring about some sort of perfect world. We get a little bit of hint of that and more of that in this episode, as Cliff is tempted by the cult ultimately successfully because he gives up his immortality at the end here. Meanwhile, Vic and his friend Derek, I believe that's his name. I was really happy that they specified what it was later in the episode. Yeah. Uh, When, uh, not to call out a specific moment, but I think it's Larry. It's like, oh, Vic and Fred. And he's like, my name's Derek. I was like, thank you. I have been. I was like, I've been calling him Buddy for (laughs) the entire recap. Um, But they're trying to. They're figuring out the whole cyborg nature of things and why cyborg doesn't want to be cyborg anymore. While they're trying to go rescue their friends, Um, Larry is just straight up bummed out the entire episode of barely there. And he's laying down. Yeah, that's how tired he is. (laughs) (laughs) And Rita and Madame Rouge are continuing to figure their stuff out and making some really big progress there in terms of let's not fall backwards. Let's move forwards. And to them, moving forwards means getting ripped, roaring drunk. By the end, Mortis has emerged, and it is none other than Isabel Feathers, a character that you, not me, I definitely remembered her very clearly and didn't have Mm. to look her up. But she is the woman who is playing Rita in the acting troupe and talk to her about, oh, this is what I think is really beautiful about the blob and completely misunderstood Rita to actual Rita. And then fell into the time portal that Madame Rouge created when she traveled forward in time. So clearly she has been lost in time for a very long time and emerged as a mortis with these new powers. So that's what's going on there. Strange. Very strange. Weird choice, very similar choice to the last one, where it's bringing them back this character that they probably knew very well in the writer's room, but I, as a fan of Doom Patrol, did not remember. Right. Well, I mean, the show has gone in a million different directions, and I think we love that about it. Yeah. Uh, But I I agree with you. They do need maybe a little bit more, like, signposting or something to be like, Mm -hmm. give us a little nod to her. I was really hoping, and I know this is, we speculated this a lot, but I was really hoping it was uh, Mr. Nobody. Is that the name of Alan Tiddick's character? Yes. From the first season? I thought it was going to be him. I thought we were going to see him emerge. Me too. And I wanted that. Let me be honest. That's what I was hoping to happen as Mm -hmm. well. So. Oh, well. But. 
why don't we talk about this in general? Because I think you and I had a little bit different reactions to the episode. I will say on my end, one of the big things that I was just very happy about with this episode, and I had forgotten how funny this show was. Like I laughed out loud yes. several times watching good it. Jokes. I had a good time watching it. Really, there's no better show for cursing on TV, I think, than this show. There's a lot of F-bombs dropped throughout here. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I had, a, I had a good time. I liked watching it. I think there were some good emotional moments here, particularly it was a small moment, but the moment of Cliff with Cliff at the end where he gives up and he realizes he's yeah. given up was very sad. And I really liked Rita and Madame Rouge's storyline a lot. They're delightful together. And I appreciated because the whole ethos of the show is small steps in terms of getting better, not the big yep. cathartic steps, that that's what they were dealing with and having a conversation about, whoa, whoa, whoa. It felt like a very writer's room plot of like, and then Rita and Madame Rouge, of course, fight about this thing here. And then somebody raises their hand and says, we've done this one million times. Can we go in another direction here and have them recognize it? And they're like, oh, yeah, that's much smarter. And it was better and more interesting. So overall, I had a good time with this, even though I do agree with you that it felt like part two of the previous episode. What do you think, Justin? Well, you know, I, I did like uh, some of the elements here, and I agree, like great jokes from from everybody. But I think the break there, uh, like you're saying, was also really getting me down to the point where I was like, oh, I really wanted like a big swing. And this felt like really just all the characters coming to rest. It had like a sad frustration to it like everyone's conversations like Jane and Cliff where they're just like sort of fighting and you watch Cliff just like truly give up mm -hmm. and it, it's rare in a show or a comic or anything where the villain shows you like your fantasy and you're char you're tempted by it but then you eventually like nah and you fight back it's rare to see it just totally work yeah. <laughs> it's like I do give up I mm -hmm. would rather do that even if it's probably not going to happen and so, like, I, I did like that plot twist, but uh, getting back to my criticisms, like, just the general tone was one of, like, negativity. And I wanted, mm -hmm. like, Larry's just laying down. Uh, uh, Cyborg and Derek are just sort of like, oh, yeah, you're in charge, character we just met. I'm not interested in being a hero. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, ah. And uh, even uh, Rita and Madame Rouge, I was like, I like where they ended up. I wish they were just doing ab fab from the jump and like just riding that bar car all episode. Instead, they just had these like sort of like expositional conversations. Mm. We kept cutting to them and they were just like, actually this and this and that. And I was just like, let's go have this drunk. I would much mm. rather see them have a, like a little bit. So I just felt like everything was coming to settle when I wanted it to be just rising up to be like, yeah. here we go. Let's even if they're going to lose here, yeah. I still want them to be rising up and go, even if they're not coming together, at least going wildly in the wrong direction, which is what Doom Patrol is great at. I, I will say this might be a function of it being so long since the previous half of the season that I don't actually remember where they were in their team journey. You know, I, I know that. Because not getting along, not getting along. Oh, really? For the first time, I think. <laughs> yeah. I do know that uh, I, and they describe this as the recap of whatever, that Madame Rouge is leading the team. None of them wanted to lead it. She wants them. Rita wanted them to be a superhero team. That wasn't working. So Madame Rouge is trying a different way. But to your point, this 
is emotionally, I think, a major step backwards for all of them, probably except yeah. for Rita and Madame Bruges, just in terms of their relationship. Um, it's definitely a big step backwards for Larry, <laughs> who, like you said, yeah. once again, his plot line is just like, no, I don't want to do this. No. Yeah, I know. And I was like, come on, dude, do something. Yeah. Plus, we've seen him like be like, I just can't do this thing before. And I mm-hmm. was like, and I love Larry. But instead, it's just like he is taking the most extreme version of I can't do this and just lying down on a rock <laughs> the whole time we see him. Uh, to your point, also, I think I, I didn't hate it or anything to be 100 percent clear. But the conversations between Vic and Derek felt like they were running around in circles, too, where we've yeah. heard one million times at this point, Vic be like, I was torn apart and really bummed out. And then one of his friends is like, you ditched us, dude. And he's like, I didn't ditch you. I was bummed out. And they're like, but you ditched us. And again, we've already moved past that. We've moved past that to the point that Derek is with Vic in a scissor dimension where you can create yeah. things with your mind. Let's figure out something to do. I Contrasted with, I like the move of Derek creating Cyborg's cannon arm and be like, this is so cool. And then has to reckon with how to actually use it, that it's super heavy on your arm. It blasts you backwards. And then ultimately Vic stepping up to be a teacher for him is, I think, an interesting indicator of where he can go, that he's not the booyah superhero going out and patrolling the streets. He's not the sad sack dude who's been hanging out with the Dude Patrol, but he's somebody who can take his trauma and pass it out to somebody else. Maybe he's a counselor. Maybe that's potentially what it becomes, you know? Yeah, and he's sort of like pushing this guy who the, the only issue is like we got to know him a little bit like in the first half of the season. But like, I'm not like, yeah, Derek's in charge. <laughs> uh, like, I want to love, love this guy because the idea that if if Cyborg's like, look, if Vic's like, I can't do this anymore. So you're in charge. Then I want rather than him getting a flaming sword and just sort of being a hero in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. I would like him to get like a million pencils and pads. And he's just like hitting up Derek with more things that he can, you know, doodles that he can bring to life or something mm-hmm. where like there, we really play that theme out where he's like, I'm, a, I'm back on the bench. I'm a coach now. Like, let me see that coach version of him. So uh, that instead it's just, he, I'm like, he refused to put on the cyborg thing, but he's going to have a flaming sword. I was like, put on the cyborg thing. It's all right. I mean, it's his trauma, right? Like he doesn't want to put on his trauma again. So I think that's the idea there. My impression out of this episode, which I'll explain in a second why it's wrong. But I thought the thing that they were going for is getting us to love Derek because Derek would be the new cyborg and potentially Jovan Wade, who leaves cyborg, would leave the show since it's ending. That's not going to happen. But the other thing that I'll throw out there, this is a big spoiler. So stop listening if you don't want to know, but they showed off an extended preview at the end of the episode. I assume they got cut off on your phone as well, but Mm -hmm. uh, he gets the cyborg armor again. They were showing that off in the preview and I was really bummed about that because it feels like we know that's going to happen eventually, but to just be casually like, yeah, and here he's cyborg again, feels like it defeats that whole plot line. Obviously we don't know how it happens, but yeah. that also means that Derek is not the new cyborg. That's not what they're building up here or anything like that. 
But I think every time I see Vic in this episode, I want him to want to be cyborg again. And so, mm-hmm. like, the there's a way, I and maybe they'll do this in a good way, like, where he can move past the traumatic side of it and really become the hero again. Because he's always wanted to be a hero. It's the other parts of it that have been the parts that have dragged him down. Can I throw something else out while we're talking about Cyborg that will 100% definitely get me yelled at in our Patreon Slack, but I'm going to say it anyway. Great. That fight scene with the flaming green sword better than absolutely anything in Star Wars Ahsoka. Wow. Did not think you were going there. Yeah. Uh, Well, I specifically went there because there was a green flaming sword that looked like absolute crap. In Ahsoka, one of the worst uh, effects I've ever seen in Star Wars. And then the sword fights were just not good. This scene yeah. was very cool. I agree. This scene was cool. Like, I liked the effect when he they would kill the scissor dudes, the mm-hmm. way they vanished and turned into green. And I like that, yeah, it was, it was a pretty dynamic, uh, dy- dynamically filmed. As opposed to uh, Ahsoka, which I did finish watching, uh, was very, like, austere and a lot of like sort of medium shots and then a very wide shot and they go to the medium shot and a very wide shot Mm -hmm. Uh, but i mean that's star wars for you they love that yeah we don't have to spend too much time on that or mention how rosario dawson was just sort of like waving her little arms with her little lightsabers in the laziest way possible because that's not what this show is about this isn't about I love that this, this is a podcast for one person, I think, at this that you want to fight, I guess. This is like the equivalent of being like, meet me at the flagpole. And I shout, I'm here for it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, okay, so we talked a little bit about Vic. Why don't we move over and talk about Cliff and Jane? Um, I w- will say, regardless of what you thought emotionally about the arc of the episode or anything like that, there were some, I felt, classic, hilarious exchanges with the two of them. And I love seeing them together. They're gr- such a great team, despite... The, and I, I this was the part of the, the episode that I thought worked the best. Watching Cliff, like, tr- be an idiot and, like, give in to the bad guys is classic Cliff, but you almost want him to do it. And then have it really be, like, super sad and melancholic, I thought was really cool. On top of getting... R2 dipshit, uh, George RR windbag, traitor blows, just like, just some nice banger uh, turns of phrase. I thought it was awesome. The one, it's such a like classic comedy construction, but the one that made me laugh out loud was Diane Guerrero, who plays Jane, saying, let's go get my stolen longevity. And then somebody's like, what about Larry? And then she answers, oh, right. Yeah. Just the off-ed <laughs> yeah. way she delivered that was so, per- like the timing on that was so perfect. Um, also, do you want to touch this weirdo shriveled up dick charm or not? Great line there, too. Great stuff. Yeah. Um, great stuff. Them just being like, Niles, of course. Fuck that guy. <laughs> it was just really fun. Yeah. Important uh, question for you off of the storyline. So we get a scene where the Immortus folks, Wally, tempts Cliff, sends him to another reality that potentially could happen. And in that, he's in the supermarket. His daughter is there. His grandson is there, and his grandson is a little grown up and singing on the loudspeaker, and Cliff decides to take off his little oven mitt and touch him with his one finger that can actually feel things. (coughs) Excuse me. Uh, My (coughs) mortality is also waning. (coughs) Yes, true. I do have your longevity. Yes. The uh, Anyway, uh, he gets pulled out at the last second, but in the middle of the supermarket scene, they get sent to paper goods, which he says is the worst aisle. 
Do you agree with that statement, Justin Tyler? The worst aisle is soaps and dog food. Uh, oh. Because it smells bad. Mm-hmm. And if you turn the corner fast, it can catch you off guard. And then you're reeling back with too many soaps. That's just so, me. Uh, sometimes those are the same aisle, though, I would say. Sometimes fair. one side you have soap and dog food and the other paper goods. I I That's agree fair. with you on that. The random stuff aisle, the stuff aisle where they're like, I don't know where to put this stuff. We're just throwing that yeah. all in there. That's the one that I usually skip. I also usually skip paper goods, to be honest. So I don't need paper goods. I get my paper no. goods somewhere else. I yeah. was just out on the West Coast briefly, and in California, the all the grocery stores have every liquor and wine mm-hmm. you could ever imagine. And I was like, yo, this changes the <laughs> vibe in this grocery store. You can buy like $100 bottles of wine. I was like, what is, this is just a whole different it's world wild. out here. Yeah, yeah. I, as a East Coaster, whenever I've got to a West Coast supermarket, I don't know about you, but I always like methodically go up and down the aisles in sort of an S pattern. Yeah. And mm-hmm. you get there and you're like, what? Whoa, this yeah. is this is past paper goods before the frozen foods. Very confusing. Yeah, right where you want to just have a a casual glass of wine. The other thing, I mean, while we're talking grocery stores, it's just funny like that on the West Coast. Then you have different states over here in the East Coast where you're like, oh, if you want to get any sort of alcohol, you have to go to a special store that is far away from any other errands that you're running. Like, what is this state? Why is it this way? They're just a lone crow on the top going, "Eh, eh, you want some rum? (laughs) Um, anyway, yes, um, I think anyway, we uh, answered that question. Yes, and we did talk about this a little bit before, but the first of all, like just the Frankenstein nature of the way they filmed Cliff taking his little brain cap off, showing up his brain, lying down there, getting the needle in his head. Very disturbing in yeah. exactly the right way. And then the way they staged it with him just sort of stumbling off and holding his face, knowing what he's done but also knowing he had no choice he really from his perspective, I thought was really well done. Yeah. And the way that I think this paid off the Larry just laying there prone thing mm-hmm. that when after Cliff made his choice, Jane went and did the same thing in the corner and Cliff in a different area just laid down. So like they've all chosen to, they're at their lowest where they just truly, you know, can't even get up. They're in such a dark place. So that at least matches in a way, and it actually highlights uh, Rita and Madame Rouge coming in, and just being like, "Well, lovely." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, so I do like that. So many great things with them too. I want to move over to them. Them saying at the end, "We saved the day!" Yay! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very funny. The shot of Rita reaching back through the portal to get the drinks cart was perfect, and then very just, fun like, rattling around with that, like you mentioned earlier. Um, Pretty much every line Michelle Gomez delivers is just, we've talked about this a million times, but I always forget her delivery is so off in a hilarious way. She just hits, I I don't know where her delivery comes from, but it's great. It just hits the wrong words or the words you don't expect in a way that's hilarious. It makes you lean in. I mean, she, any show she's in, she feels like she's in her own show Mm -hmm. in a way that doesn't disrupt the show. If that makes sense. She's like just a great performer who is herself first, yet she is a great actor as well. So she is doing the role. But you just want to watch her talk about what's going on. Well, but I also appreciate to that point that 
they have leaded to the fact that she works so well with April Bowlby, who plays Rita, and just the way that they work off of each other. April Bowlby, I think, was like a highlight in a cast of highlights before that. So to give her something, give A, give them somebody to work off of is great. But B, also to have a character that gets Rita out of that funk where she spends so many times being like, well, I'm going to go do my own thing, or I'm going to lie here on the bed. I thought the scene of Madame Rouge going in and being like, nope, not going to let you just lie on the bed. Let's actually talk about this stuff was really good. It was shaking Mm -hmm. up those patterns in an interesting way um, and led to that fun ending with the portal, with the drinks heart, with everything else. Great confessions, great toothbrush revenge. Um, strange, yes. what, what strange choice she, to become. She, becomes she became a beaver, a beaver. and stuck yeah. the toothbrush in her wee beaver beaver. Is that what she said? Yeah. Yes, which I was like, oh, that's very specific. And then it just gets Rita to confess to multiple murders. <laughs> <laughs> that was like <laughs> sort of a weird choice, but uh, great. Yeah. I That was an interesting thing because I guess I should have figured that, but I didn't really think that was a problem for her. You know, me neither. I agreed. I thought it was going to be she did something really fucked up to Madame Rouge yeah. that was she was going to confess to, but instead it was just stuff we've already seen. So it was hard to tell, and she also didn't feel like sad about it. Right. I feel like Madame Rouge was sort of the one surprised by it and having an emotional reaction. So I, I don't actually know what the intention there was. Maybe a reason for her to want to drink. I don't know. It was I a think little... that's what it was. I think it was bonding. To your point, it just wasn't adding new information for us, the viewer. But it did lead to a funny reaction from Madame Bruges where she said, like, yeah, you're a serial killer. And did the little with the knife thing. Yeah. Very fun. fun. Um, I'd also give a shout out for their plot line. <laughs> the way that they escaped from the ad farm by Madame Bruges turning into uh, a suitcase and really getting that. inside of her. Also, the joke of the ad farm soldiers seeing them and saluting and going, Colonel Samsonite. Good. Great. Love Bonkers. that. And a great Doom Patrol joke. No other show could do that joke. That joke is crazy. The reality they create around it is very funny. And then they're giggling as they go away. Because it's. And that sort of kicked off the episode in a way. I was like, all right, this is fun. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I guess I really liked that in the beginning. And the end, I thought, was nice that everyone got back together. Uh, we had Dorothy show up. We've got um Yeah, we Casey. should talk about that. We have uh, Casey and Dorothy show up at the end here. So, presumably, they're going to be part of the action now and involved with everybody. It's going to be interesting to see how they gel with the cast. Obviously, Dorothy has been there, but Casey is a very new element. Like, literally, this is, what, the second episode she's been in? Something like that. So... Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how she gels with the rest of the cast, given her positive attitude. I really did like it was a like on the nose visual, but Dorothy coming in and them creating Wizard of Oz bubbles around everybody to protect them. But it worked. This whole episode and maybe the full first half of the season, the vibe to me was Wizard of Oz meets Ghost Rider the PBS show Ghost Writer from when uh-huh. at least we were children. I was like, oh, this is, uh, it feels like sort of a weird corner of the universe that they've chosen to occupy here in their final season. Yeah. 
couple of other lines. I'm just going to look through my notes here and shout some stuff out in honor of Pete, our member who would normally do this. Um, the Death Squad to Cell Block D was funny just at the beginning of the episode. Rock beat scissors, motherfuckers, when right. they dropped the Love rock that. on the scissor men. Um, the, oh, we found out that the donkey's name is Peter Butter. I don't think no. we knew that before. No, I don't think so either. That was fun. I love the just farting down the the <laughs> globe. Farting down to Paraguay. That's how you do it, man. That's how you go on vacation. Uh, does go away mean something different in Scotland? Funny line there. Um, Vic and friend. I mentioned that earlier. And uh, yeah, I, I think that was it. Anything else you wanted to call out there? I really liked Jane's line. Don't let this be the end. I thought that really resonated both as an emotional moment between them and also meta in a meta way that mm-hmm. this is the beginning of the end of the show. That was the only part that I think made sense to have this be the episode where that brings us back because otherwise I can't emphasize this hard enough. They, sh- they should have let this episode air and done the last yeah. uh, five because it uh, makes so much more sense. Yes. Oh, I did want to mention one more thing just on the moral of the episode front. I thought Madame Rouge, Rouge's line, which I'm paraphrasing, I didn't write it down specifically about she would rather try to help and fail than do nothing at all. I think that's the whole yeah. MO of the show. Like that that's yeah. the show right there. Uh, and that's definitely Truth. what they're doing throughout is like they need always need to fight against these impulses to be Larry and just lie down at a rock and let things happen. And ultimately they do need to come together. They do need to save the world, usually in a very stupid way. But it's just about giving that like extra five percent of effort, if I'm being generous there. Beautiful. And that's where the that's where the team lives. Before we wrap up here, why don't we talk about who is most doomed this episode? Justin, who do you think was most doomed? This has been my answer, I think, consistently for quite some time. But Cliff is just mm. at the he's been at the end of his rope so much that there's just not much rope left. And you see him just fully give in. He's just faced so much loss uh, throughout the run of this series, especially this season. And it was just such a bummer to watch him literally just fall apart. Um, This is a lot of prognostication, but I'm going to throw out Madame Rouge in this episode. Mm. It just feels like with everybody else losing their longevity, again, from the promo, we see they seem to be getting older and older over the course of the rest of the season. I think she's going to have to make some sort of sacrifice play to redeem herself, potentially. Um, Mm. I don't know. I don't know. I'm very curious to see how this ends, whether this does end in a satisfying way or if we are going to get, you know, cliffhanger could have been the next season, season five type thing. There's a lot of stuff to wrap up. We didn't really talk about this, but like. Not just the abortive stuff. They've also got the zombie butts out there. Um, yep. There's potentially Mr. Nobody stuff. He's still out. He escaped from his painting seasons back. So yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see how they wrap this all up and uh, nervously excited. I got to think they had a plan in place yeah. to wrap it up uh, because the, the writing was on the wall with all the industry changes that were happening as this show was finishing. So... I think and hope that they had the chance, the opportunity to really do what they wanted to do at the very end. All right. There we go. If you want to support this podcast and all the podcasts we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show 
every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube coming out. We would love to chat with you about Doom Patrol, Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter slash X, Comic Book Club Live on TikTok and Instagram, ComicBookClubLive.com for this podcast and many more. And usually we end here with a Pete of advice from Pete LePage, but I think the big takeaway from this episode is if you don't show up, you can't shout about the lines. That's exactly right. And he would also say, choose your avocados carefully in the produce aisle. <laughs> Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.